0: Voice is gone. So, Mark chapter two. In this story, <clears throat> this is early on. It's it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the and we the the Gospels are the Synoptic Gospels because they're very similar. Uh, synonym, which is where Synoptic comes from, but they're very similar in a lot of the the um, s- stories that they tell. But the uh, the stories in every one of them are a little bit different, right? So you can get a little more detail in, in each one of them. So as I was studying, I went to Matthew and read the story there, and then I went to Mark and read the story there and went to Luke and read it there. John does not record it. He records a different uh, a different man uh, lame from his birth. Um, but there's a little more details, and, and if you're taking notes, you can write these passages down so that you can go back and look at them later. Uh, Because some of the things that I am going to talk about this morning are not found in Mark chapter 2, but they're found in Matthew, uh, the the correlating passage in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8 is where you'll find this also. And then also in Luke chapter 5 verse 17 through 26. And I will refer to some of those, but I won't necessarily go over there uh, and read from them. But we're going to read Mark chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, They let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoned in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Um, So we are in Capernaum, and if you remember, not too many weeks ago, Pastor, Oh, on Capernaum on a Sunday night. It was one of the places that they went on their trip to Israel. And Capernaum was the city of Jesus Christ. It was kind of where he based his, his ministry out of. And uh, I also, I asked Emma this last night, and after a little pulling, she remembered. Does anybody know who, li- who else lived in Capernaum? Whose house was there? Peter. Peter. Very good. Peter's house was in Capernaum. And if you remember from the geography lesson, they, they, the Catholic Church has built a... Uh, um, A what? A church. Yeah. They built a church over Peter's house. And then the synagogue was not far from there where Jesus would have left Peter's house and gone and taught in the synagogue. And and that is still there as well, I believe. Um, I'm not as well versed, but I tried to remember his lesson. But but the house of Peter is sitting still intact somewhat under the church there, uh, the Catholic church. Uh, And they built that there kind of to preserve it. And if you remember, the Catholic Church is built there to kind of sort of represent a boat, uh, which would make sense, all the fishing on the Sea of Galilee and everything else, Peter being a fisherman himself. But Jesus was in Capernaum. Now, if you go to, uh, you don't do it now, but if you go to, I believe it's Luke. I didn't write this down. It's one of those other passages. If you go back there, Jesus, again, he entered, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, again, he entered into Capernaum. So again, where was he coming from? Well, we go back and look at that, and he was coming from the Gadarenes, where he had just healed the maniac of Gadara. Now, if you look at on your map, and most of you should have one in your Bible, um, I can do it backwards, Capernaum was on the northwest side of of, the Sea of Galilee, the Gadarenes were on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, and if you remember, uh, I think he said the, the Sea of Galilee was eight miles wide and about 12 miles long. Well, they're traveling almost the full distance uh, of the Sea of Galilee back and forth. But what had happened here is Jesus uh, had healed Peter's mother-in-law in in Capernaum at Peter's house. He heals his mother-in-law. Then he goes across the Sea of Galilee, and it's on this trip that they have the huge storm, and he calms the Sea of Galilee uh, for his disciples. Then he gets to... The, the Gadarenes, where he heals the maniac of Gadara. Well, then the people, what happened when Jesus healed them? When, when he healed, there actually were two, two demoniacs, and we always focus on that one, but there were two there. But what happened after he healed them? What did the people do? They ran him out. They chased him out. And, and it says he goes back to Capernaum, and that's where we pick up this story. Again, he entered into Capernaum. So he's back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, and now we have Jesus in Capernaum. Likely in, uh, in Peter's house. Okay, this is where he would normally have have taught out of, and we get that from uh, verse uh, one. After some days, it was noise that he was in the house. The being probably kind of a given. He was in Peter's house. He was in the house he always stayed in. But we don't. We're not told that. Uh, but probably he would have been right there in Peter's house. Now. I have a few questions. Uh, looking at this story, uh, how long had this man been like this? Was it an injury that happened? You know, maybe he was a farmer and something happened. He had an injury. Was he like this from his birth? The Bible doesn't tell us. Now we do have a correlating uh, passage—not not correlating, but another uh, palsied man in John chapter five that was. From his birth, 38 years, sitting by the pool of Bethesda, waiting for somebody to help him get in that pool. But this guy, it's not told how long he'd been like this. Um, my guess is he was not like this from his birth, only because of the friends that he had. He, he would have made those friends somewhere. Uh, he would not likely have been able to go to have been childhood school friends, most likely. Um, so, uh, But we don't know how long he'd been like this, uh, or if it was an accident that left him injured. Uh, I also had that question: whose whose house was the house? Very likely Peter's house, uh, since it is described as the house. And Jesus, uh, who were these friends? We don't know. We're not told who the friends are. There's there's the story doesn't give significance necessarily to the names of these men, other than that he had friends uh, that had. Where had? in this faith. faith. Had they heard uh, the stories of Jesus? Had they been followers of Jesus? Remember, they are from Capernaum, and that's where Jesus has been basing his, his, his ministry. Now, you got to remember, this is early in Jesus' ministry. Look where it's at in Mark. It's in the second chapter. So early probably in his ministry, And because also, uh, if you look uh, at verse 14 of Mark chapter 2, and as he, okay, verse 13, and he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. This is right after he heals this man. And then verse 14, he passed, as he passed by, he saw Levi, or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So early in Christ's ministry, because he hasn't even chosen all of his disciples yet, because he chooses one of them right after this happens. So we know it was early in his ministry. So where did these men get their faith? Did they, as soon as Jesus said, I'm the Messiah and I'm come to heal, where did they get it from? We're not told that either. Um, and we're not told anything about the rest these men, the rest of the Bible, as far as we know. Now, one or two or all of these men could be followers of Christ that are mentioned later, but we're not told, hey, this is the, this is the guy that brought that guy and dropped him in the roof. We're not told that. Um, But Mark is the most descriptive uh, in this account. He gives the most detail in this account. So we're going to stay in Mark chapter 2 and and refer to Talk about this this morning, just for a few minutes. Uh, I got five lessons from the life of a lame man. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And I'm not as good as Pastor. They're not all alliterated and everything else. So I'm just going to throw them out there, and you can take notes and alliterate them yourself later. Um, But we're going to talk about five lessons from the life of this layman. Let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for an opportunity, again, we have to open your word. God, I pray that that, that you would help me, that you'd calm my nerves, but give me what uh, the words to say that your people need. God, I know I'm not their pastor, but anytime your word is opened, we can we can learn from it and uh, and gain some, some things from it. So I pray that you'd give those to us this morning, that you'd even work in my heart as I give the messages you already have uh, in preparing it. And I pray that your people would just be edified and and, uh, and drawn closer to you because of it. And God, I pray that if there's any uh, in this room that that just do not know you as their Savior, God, I pray that today they would understand you are knocking at their heart's door. You want them to, to make you their Savior, and their life can be so different because of that. And I pray that you just open the eyes and, and the heart to understand Um God, that you you want to, to be their savior. You want to forgive them of the sins that are drawing them away from you. And uh, God, I pray if there's anybody in here this morning, they would understand that and come to you. And I thank you for the the good news we've heard from Nitton and the, the trip there in uh, India. Pray that you'd continue to bless, continue to they'd continue to see souls saved. And uh, God, I just pray that you would help us as we continue to run services here uh, with Pastor Away, that you'd just help things to run smoothly and that you'd give us understanding and wisdom as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, first lesson I have. Lesson number one. Not all problems that come to us are our fault. Nor does it matter who's at fault. Okay? Sometimes we, we create problems in our lives that are our own fault. I got a story for you. I told Sarah this story already. But uh, does everybody know what a yard arm is? On old buildings, usually barns, there used to be, almost looked like a hangman's uh, arm that would hang out and there was a pulley on it. And that pulley was for usually on that side of the barn. There would be a window, and they would pull things up to that window and slide them in. It was easier than carrying them all the way up the stairs, or uh, maybe they didn't fit up the stairs, so they would pull them up on a pulley and slide them in that window. Well, this man one day, uh, they had a they had a bunch of bricks that they had been storing up there for a chimney uh, for the house they were building, and the house was complete. They no longer needed the bricks. It was his. I think it was his dad's. Uh, bricks for when the house was being built. So he decided he's going to clean out this barn and take all those bricks down. Well, instead of throwing all the bricks down to the ground and then having to stack them back up onto a truck, he decided to put them in barrels and lower them down and set them right on the bed of the truck. So he he had a couple buddies helping him. They loaded up one of the barrels of bricks up and this guy held on to the, to the rope and when they pushed the barrel of bricks out, he's not as heavy as the barrel of bricks, so he went shooting up. And uh, on his way to the top, to the pulley, he passed the, the load of bricks. And it hit him in the shoulder, but he was hanging on real tight. Now he's, you know, 10, 15 feet in the air. He can't let go. He's going to crash to the ground. So he hit the bricks and was able to hold on. And about the time that the barrel of bricks got to the ground, he got to the pulley. And jammed his fingers in the pulley. Well, now what, he, what does he do? But he didn't have to wait long, because when the barrel hit the ground, the bottom broke out of it, and all the bricks fell out. So he came flying back down to the ground, and on his way to the ground, he pulled the barrel again and cracked his shins. But he was able to hang on. He knew just a few more seconds he'd be at the ground, so he got to the ground and landed on all the bricks that were on the ground and busted himself up again, and he finally let go of the rope. He was finally on the ground, but he forgot the barrel was still in the air. <laughs> down the barrel came and landed on him the point of this silly story is he could have avoided all those problems by realizing ahead of time, I'm not as heavy as the bricks. But sometimes in our life, we come upon problems and avoid them. There's nothing we can do to get around them. And I think that's what we have here with this man. Uh, he, there was nothing he could do to not be palsied. He wasn't paralyzed because of, a, of an injury. He was palsied. He's a palsied man, sick of the palsy. Uh, he had a disease. There was nothing he could have done about it. Whether it was a, a parasite or something that, who knows? The Bible doesn't tell us. But it wasn't his fault. And sometimes, this, the, the point here is sometimes we get laid off from our jobs. We have sickness. Uh, we have a wayward child that wanders off into the world. Uh, business dealings get really complicated. Uh, our spouses get sick. These are problems we go through, and there's nothing we can do about them to stop them. It's not a problem we brought on ourselves, uh, like the story I just talked about. Um, but we need help. And what are we supposed to do when that, when that happens? That's where story, uh, lesson number two comes in. Don't ever get mad at God when you're in these problems. Run to God. And I know that's easier said than done. But it's absolutely necessary that we don't blame God for our problems. pastor talks about this all the time. Every time he goes out on, on a, a suicide call or something like that, and he's dealing with the family, why would God let this happen? It's important to remember uh, God didn't make this happen. God didn't do this. It's a, it's a direct result of Satan's rebellion against God and his tempting Eve and her sinning. That's why we have what we have in this world. It's not God's fault. Turn to Job chapter 1, I want to talk about, and and if you're thinking with me, that's probably the first person you thought of, but Job chapter 1, to prove that it's not God that brings these problems on us, Job chapter 1, I want to look at verses 6 through 12 quickly, uh, and then we'll look at Job chapter 2 as well. But verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And we're not talking about who these sons of God were. That's not the point of this. But Satan comes to present himself before God with these. And verse 7, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and from in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Verse 8, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? a perfect and an upright man, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he'll curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Satan went to God to get permission, basically, to attack his people. Now, you see in verse 8, God brings up Job first. But I can only imagine then that why was, why was Satan presenting himself before God? Was, it, was God truly wanting a, a, uh, you know, a, an account of where Satan had been? I mean, God knows that already. But I think Satan was out and about looking for saints to attack. And he comes to God and God says, consider my servant Job. That doesn't mean God is saying, hey, go attack him. He's saying Satan's going to attack. And God sends him to Job knowing no matter what you do to him, he's not going to turn on me. And we see that in the story of Job all the way through it. His wife even says, curse God and die. Job says, nope. His friends are blaming him. You, this must be because of something you've done. And he does not turn on God. Uh, He curses the day that he was born. I wish I hadn't been born. But he doesn't curse his God. Uh, Don't ever get mad at God. Run to God. And this is what this man does here in Mark chapter 2. And I'm going to hurry along. But in Mark chapter 2, we're not told, well, going back to Job, we're not told how long this trial in Job's life went on. You see in chapter 1 and 2, his children are all dead. He loses everything. And then in verse In chapter 2, if you go back and read, then Job loses his health. Satan goes back to God. I already turned away from it. But in in chapter 2, verse 1 of Job, if you're still there, he goes back to God and gives another account. It says there was another day when the sons of God came before God, and Satan came as well. And he says, yeah, you took everything away from him, and he didn't curse you, but he still has his health. And God says, you can touch his health, but don't kill him. And that's what we see in chapter 2. We don't know how long this trial went on in Job. Sometimes we think it all happened in the course of one day. Um, and it may have. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But we see Satan coming to God two separate times. It seems like there's a little bit of a, of a time between there where Job is really going through it. Um, we are told that the second time Satan comes and takes his health away, his friends are getting ready to come to Job to help him mourn the loss of his children. So not years, but it could have been... You know, days or weeks uh, before uh, that Job is going through this. But think of this man in Mark chapter 2. How long has he been going through this? And then he, I'm sure, just like the woman with the issue of blood, been to every doctor, every, she spent every penny she had trying to get better and couldn't. I'm sure this man went through just about every option they had. I don't know how wealthy he was or whatever, but every option they had in that day to, to heal this issue he had. And who is this Jesus? Could have been his response. I'm not dealing with another one. We've had the lots of snake oil salesmen come by, so to speak. I'm not dealing with this one, too. But he goes to God. He is, he is convinced. We know this by this passage. He says, your faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee. But um, somewhere in there, he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and could heal him. He goes to God instead of turning on God. And I wrote this down. Um, I don't think, although little is recorded in this, in this passage, uh, that these friends had to twist his arm to get him to go see Jesus. Uh, if his attitude was, it's not going to work, but whatever, we'll give it a shot. And I think about that. If, if his friends came to and he was like, whatever, it's not going to work, well, okay. I don't believe Jesus would have healed him. He healed them because of, his, of their faith. Not because they showed up. Uh, they had faith that he could be healed. Think about these men. Uh, and remember, back to the geography lesson, what, these roof, what, what the roof would have been, just a, a, you know, a thatching sort of with sticks and all that. And they peeled this off, and they dropped this man to Jesus. Uh, but their faith made, the, made them not be deterred by, oh, the house is full. I think sometimes that's our attitude. We get to church. Whoop! Oh, it's full. We would just leave instead of standing in the back. This man was here to get healed because his faith drove him to God instead of having him get mad at God. The third lesson I see is it's never too late to Jesus. And I want to spend a few minutes on this because, again, we're not told how long this paralyzed man was like this. It was palsy to the point that he was paralyzed. Now... Uh, You know, a a, a palsy does not normally, immediately paralyze you. So this man had been like this for some time. Uh, But it's never too late to come to to Jesus. And I I wrote this down. I already mentioned it. But in John chapter 5, we see the paralyzed man at the temple of Bethesda. 38 years he's been waiting to get into that pool. Now, he had a little more hope. He saw people jump in that pool for 38 years and be healed. So he's waiting and, and he tells Jesus, I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool. Uh, imagine, you know, those that had people helping them. He had nobody, but he saw at least had a little evidence that this was going to work. This man here has, other than Jesus healing other people that it's stories that he's heard about, he has no proof that Jesus can heal him. Uh, it's his faith, uh, that brings him to Jesus, but it's never too late to come to Jesus. Um, imagine this man's excitement, um, when he hears of a man that's performing healing miracles. Uh, and, and it's in his own city, in Capernaum. This is where Jesus is basing on. It. Imagine his excitement. However long he's been like this, he realizes it's, it's never too late to come to Jesus. And, and I wrote a few things down here, but this man may have lived with this, without the touch of Christ in his life for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We don't know. But, but the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And the obvious point here to me is it's never too late to come to Christ. Um, there are some, and I've talked with them at work or whatever else, who've tried everything. I've tried. I'm I'm in the middle of studying out the Buddhist religion now, trying to get my inner peace and all the rest of that. And I've tried the Muslims, and they they don't work. And I've tried this, and I've tried that. Jesus is not just another religion to try, but it's never too late to come to Him. Pastor says this all the time: as long as you're breathing, it's and and that's the truth. Uh, Can you imagine the difference Christ made in this man's life? We don't know what happened after this; we're not told. Now, it does say that he went about glorified, he glorified God, and he left from there and went to his house. Uh, Most likely, I mean, if nothing else, this man had a story to tell, right? But we're not told what he did uh, with the rest of his life. But imagine the difference that Christ made in his life, just physically. And I say that, but unless you've been healed from palsy and paralysis, we don't know. We don't know how that would feel but you do know how it feels when your life has been touched by Christ and how that has changed our life. And unless you have come to Christ and and experienced that, you don't know what that feels like. And I encourage you today. I I really encourage you today to come to Christ. Um, Often the the argument is, but you don't know the bad things that I've done in my life or you don't know the bad things that have happened to me in my life. And that seems like a legitimate argument. Jesus wouldn't accept me. You don't know how I, what I've done in my past. Um, but it's an excuse. Uh, granted, I don't know, and you don't know the shameful things I've done, or you may be asking what I'm doing in the pulpit right now, right? That doesn't matter. The fact that Jesus can forgive those sins and can heal us from all those things in our past, and the important thing is it's never too late, um, I encourage you today, it, your life will never be the same. Uh, those of you who have been saved recently, those of you who have been saved for, for decades, your life will never be the same. And and if you've not come to Christ, uh, there's so much in the Bible that, that, that tells us about the change that comes. He makes us a new creature and all the rest of that. And I would encourage you at, at the end of the service, talk to somebody in this church. Uh, if they can't tell you, Hopefully they can, but if they can't show you how to come to Christ, they can get you to somebody who can. It's the most important decision that we'll ever, ever make. Uh, and I can't help but thinking this. You know, a couple years ago, four or five years ago now, when Nitton was here in our church, and he says this all the time, for 38 years, 38 years I didn't know Jesus. And that, that's, that's the truth. And I was thinking about this last night. Think about his dad. I don't know how old his dad is, probably in his 70s if I had to guess. For seventy years, without Christ, this man, for probably decades, no hope, none, until Christ touches his life. Nitten's father, no hope, really, until Christ touches his life. Same, same thing for each of us. Uh, if you're not saved this morning, you have no hope. You may, you may, be a nice guy or a nice lady. You may be. Uh, an encouragement to others. You may be the life of the party when you show up, but you know deep down inside, you're empty. And this man, he could have been a great friend to these other four. He could have been, you know, when they came, he could have been funny, and you know, he may have even had money. We don't know. But he's empty inside. He's empty until he, until he uh, has this meeting with Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 37 says this, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's an encouraging verse, especially for the unsaved. No matter how, what your past looks like, he will never, ever cast you out. He'll never say, nope, I'm not, I'm not forgiving you of your sin. He'll always forgive you. Fourth lesson I find, two more. Fourth lesson, find friends that draw you to Christ. I don't know where this guy found these friends. Or how long they'd been his friends. But he found four friends that brought him to Christ. And here's the important thing. Look at verse 5. So they break up the roof. And they start lowering him down. And it says, when Jesus saw his faith. When he saw their faith. He's looking at the faith of all five of these guys. Now, these were not four friends. Uh, You have have seen uh, videos that people do. They say, uh, random acts of kindness. These were not random acts of kindness. Four guys found this guy laying on his bed and said, hey, you want us to help you get to Jesus? These were his friends. These were the guys he surrounded himself with in his life. And they get to this house expecting to bring him to Jesus, and there's no room. They take him up to the roof, and they peel this roof back and bring him to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Their faith was just as important as this sick man's faith, in, in getting his healing from Christ. And Proverbs 27, 17 says this, Iron sharpeneth iron, and so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. It would have been impossible, literally impossible for this man to get to Christ without help. And, and my encouragement this morning is uh, surround yourself with friends that are this way, friends that draw you to Christ instead of drawing you away. Um, you know, when we, especially when we first get saved, uh, and, we've, and, we, and our life changes, we have to get new friends. And here's the challenge as well. Be a friend that somebody can surround themselves with that draws them closer to Christ. Uh, and this is for teenagers as well. Teens, I think it's almost more important to surround yourself with friends that draw you to Christ. My youth pastor used to say this all the time, uh, and it was a challenge to us. He'd say, uh, when's the last time you and your friends got together and talked about about the Bible. It was rare to our shame. Usually you got there and talked about sports or, you know, because we're just having a good time. Surround yourself with friends that draw you closer to Christ. Um, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Not always is a friend going to come to you with a smile, and with a pat on the back and say, you're doing great. Keep it up. Sometimes we need, because of the way we've been acting, sometimes we need some reproving. Sometimes we need encouraging. Sometimes we need somebody to, uh, to, to fix some of the issues that we have. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes it, it does hurt. It cuts. And it's not a cutting of, man, that guy, I thought he was my friend. No, he's, he's doing that because he's your friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Um, think about David and Jonathan. I, there's so many instances of friends in the Bible, but surround yourself with friends that bring you closer to Christ. Uh, friends that encourage you to come to church, uh, encourage you to be in church, encourage you to be at visitation, encourage you to witness to others. Got lots of examples, but we're going to move on to my last Uh, lesson from the life of this lame man. And that is going along with the chorus that we sang at the beginning of the service. Does my life reflect his glory? Look at um, Mark chapter 2 and verse 12. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. But if you go to Luke chapter 5, You don't have to turn there, but you're more than welcome to. In Luke chapter 5, we get a little different account of this. So Mark chapter 2 says, when he's healed, everybody was amazed and glorified God. But Mark chapter 5, I mean Luke chapter 5, I'm sorry, in verse 25, it says, and immediately, this is the same story, same account, uh, just by Luke instead instead of Mark. And immediately he, the sick man, rose up before them all, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. He was glorifying God in this account. And then verse 26, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Does my life reflect his glory? I wrote this down because it amuses me sometimes when uh, you know people have very fortunate things happen in their life, saved or not, and immediately what do they want to do? They want to write a book. and. Money on it and and all that. This guy could have, I wrote this down. He could have used this amazing miracle miracle to boost his Instagram numbers and go viral and make a career and a merchandise line out of it. But instead he glorified God. He glorified God for what God had done. Now remember, in Mark chapter 2, when he saw their faith, he could have gone around saying, my faith, my faith is what healed me. But he doesn't. He glorifies God for what he had done in his life. Uh, instead, he focused on glorified, glorifying God for the change that was wrought in his life. And I hope you never lose that, that sense of, of awe, that sense of wonder that God changed your life. Uh, remember, David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There are times when we get out of that mood, out of that habit of rejoicing in what God has done for us. But I pray that he restores that joy to you. That is, that is that sense of wonder at what God has done for me. And we're done. but I want you to think about one last thing. Think about did Jesus was Jesus surprised the Pharisees were, the, the, the elders were all of a sudden the roof opened up. But do you think Jesus was surprised that that roof opened up? No, He knew He knew what was going on. He's God. So he knew this was coming. Did he know that five minutes before? Or a week before? Or a month before? When did he know? He, he, he knew this was going to happen for all of eternity. He's known this point in history, this appointment with this man is going to happen as long as he has enough faith to get to me. I'm going to heal him. So imagine, at least for me, imagine the, the smile maybe that comes across Christ's face when he sees that roof start to open up and he says, there he is. He's, he's coming. I knew he would do it. Not because... You know, not, not in, a, in a humanistic type of way. I knew he could do it, but in a... That's a man that has faith in me, and because of that faith, I'm going to forgive him of his sins. I don't care what the, what the Pharisees are thinking in their minds. And it's interesting also in this story that he, they didn't reason among themselves. They weren't saying, hey, who, who can forgive sin? They reasoned in their hearts, and God Jesus perceived that they were doing this, and he, and he corrects them for it. But... um it's also interesting uh, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story in their Gospels. It must have made some impact on them to see this man lowered through. And I thought about this too. Maybe, maybe they remembered it so well because they all had to help Peter fix his roof later. And they were like, yeah, remember that time? I don't know. But it made an impact in their lives. And uh, I would encourage us to, to learn these lessons. Think through these lessons uh, from the life of this lame man. Uh, even though we don't have names involved here in this story, that's not what's important. What's important is that no matter what the problem was, he ran to God instead of blaming God for his problem. Uh, He surrounded himself with these friends that were faithful and brought him to Christ. And then very, very importantly, almost, almost more importantly than the rest of them, is that after God did this in his life, he glorified God with it and brought glory to God. He, he, I have no doubt in my mind that after this, this happened in his life, he went about telling people about this story. Jesus healed me. These people would have known this paralyzed man. They would have known who he was. And then they see him walking around. We see those stories in the Bible in other places. Isn't this the lame man? Yeah, it is. Jesus healed me, and let me tell you about him, and you've got to get to him, not just for healing of your physical, but healing of your spiritual needs. Five lessons from, from this lame man's life. I hope uh, as encouragement to you, but let God use your life to glorify himself. Uh, don't, don't try to take credit for somebody that got saved. Oh yeah, I saw this person saved. Let God glorify, let him get the glory uh, for what he's done in your life. Let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You can stand with me at your seats. This may not be a, uh, a sermon that pinpoints specific sins or anything like that, that you need to come and confess and get right, but maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know how God works uh, in the individual hearts of people. But I will encourage this this morning. If you're here this morning and you have not come to Christ like this paralyzed man, if this man had never come to Christ, he would never have been healed. I, I believe that. Jesus wasn't. He wasn't going to that man's house. He needed him to prove his faith by coming to Jesus. And that's how we come to Christ, as unsaved sinners, lost in our, lost in our sin. We are just as, as handicapped as this man was uh, in this story by our sin. And I encourage you today, come up here. If, you, if you've never understood what it means to be saved or you would like to know more, come up here at the end of the service uh, or even during this invitation. We'll get somebody to show you a little bit more. Uh, about that. As the piano plays, if the Lord is dealing with your heart in any way, you come talk with Him.